Essentially, what I view leadership as sort of the prism through four pillars, all of which are about energizing the best parts of who we are as leaders and the best parts of the people who we intend to lead. Hello, Positive Leaders. Thanks for joining us today. You are listening to the Positive Leadership Podcast with Andrea Crabtree and David Liss, a podcast for everything a veterinary manager needs to know to get the job done. We've been there and we know how hard it is and are here to help share our knowledge and expertise to elevate you. I'm Andrea Crabtree, co-founder of Positive Leadership Podcast, owner of FurPaws Consulting, a certified veterinary practice manager, and HR certified professional. And I'm David Liss, co-founder of the Positive Leadership Podcast. I'm also a certified veterinary practice manager, hold an MBA, and I'm a registered veterinary technician. And this podcast is for you, the veterinary practice manager, supervisor, leader. We want to elevate you by equipping you with relevant content, material, guidelines, instruction, feedback, and pro tricks and tips. We will deliver real life experience along with our super smart guests that will get you through the obstacles that you're facing today with some bloopers and blunders along the way to remind you that you're not alone. This episode is generously sponsored by AmeriVet Veterinary Partners. Better business, happier vets, healthier pets. We are so excited to welcome our super smart guest today, Josh Weissman, CCFP and Masters in Positive Psychology. He is the founder and owner of Flourish Veterinary Consulting. Josh, welcome to today's episode of Positive Leadership Podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Uh, Sure. Yeah, I'm a Pisces. I was born in Brooklyn and I keep bees. Fantastic. Love it. (laughs) Short, sweet, and to the point. There's just short, sweet, and to the point. So I've been in vet med for a little over 20 years, which is crazy to say because I don't really feel like I'm that old, but I guess I am. Act your shoe size, Joss. Act your shoe size. Act my shoe size. Uh, (laughs) I'm trying to think of what what kind of things was I doing when I was nine. (laughs) It feels so long ago to recall. So I've been in veterinary medicine. I like to joke. I filled every role in the hospital except a full doctor because I was once the right, literally the right hand of a veterinarian who had broken her wrist. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Wow. Yeah. And all of that kind of culminated in... um, practice management and ownership. I was a partner in a couple of small animal hospitals. And now I run a consultancy called uh, Flourish Veterinary Consulting that I started from the ground up with the sole purpose of taking the science of human thriving and bringing it through the prism of leadership development to the veterinary space so that all of us can be fulfilled in our work each and every day. That's kind of the, the spiel about me. Fantastic. I would love to hear what you go to when you want some to get your learn on, like what favorite (laughs) podcast, book, class CE, like where are you going to say, I got to dive into this or something that's had a lasting effect on you that said, you know, this book got me to where I am today. Yeah. So that's like, those are great questions, Andrew. I feel like there's kind of two questions in there. What do I go to and what really kind of nudged me to where I am today? I'll start with the nudged me. So I don't even remember how many years ago I came across it, but there's a researcher by the name of Sean Acor who wrote a book called The Happiness Advantage. I read that book. I don't don't even remember how I found it, but that book was life-changing for me. This sort of revelation, if you will, that there is a science behind human happiness and how we can bring it into the the space of work. So that- Yeah, interesting. 
when I read it, it, it didn't immediately put me down the path that I'm on now, but I definitely went back to it. And now mm. things, you know, places where I go for my uh, continuing education, if you will. So um, you asked about podcasts and that's definitely yeah. something I do a lot of listening to. It depends on what I'm after, but, you know, given that we're talking about leadership in a workplace, Adam Grant's uh, Work Life podcast is phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. He's awesome. Yeah. Adam Grant is like... I, <laughs> I, I can o I can almost picture how he would respond to hearing this, but he is somebody who I totally fanboy over. <laughs> Literally one of my my greatest like moments of pride is uh so he spoke at, at the AVMA conference this year and I listened in on his conversation with Matt Salloy from the AVMA and there were a couple of yeah. things that he brought up that were really interesting to me. So I took the leap and I wrote Adam Grant an email just to ask him for nice. some of the citations. And he wrote back to me within 24 hours. So I have wow. saved nice. in my inbox permanently yeah. an email from Adam Grant. Nice. Very that cool. That is very cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think Adam Grant and Simon Sinek, some yeah. of these guys yeah. that they just speak truth in like two sentences. Yeah. You know, they, they certainly don't need a paragraph to explain themselves because it is just raw truth. But it's interesting because as, you know, educator, you know, professionals, it's all data driven, which is fascinating yeah. too. Yeah. And as you said, with happiness, you know, what's wild is like you start to see this is a whole new section of, uh, you know, our intellect. Right. And, and mm -hmm. the idea that if you do these things, you improve your happiness score. I mean, that's like <laughs> mind blowing. Right? right. But it works. What's right. crazy. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. So you have a master's degree, Josh, in a really interesting field, positive psychology. And I'm sure that there's more to it. And I, I want to hear, you know, we want to hear more about it. I assume this is not Pavlov. You know, this is not positive <laughs> reinforcement. You know, and I, I mean that as a joke, and, and of course, the most friendly way. So, tell us what your what your training is, and what your master's degree is in, and you know, what is positive psychology? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I want to frame this kind of around uh, a bit of a story and an example. So, I, I have a client that I've been working with. This hospital was going through some big changes, some growing pains, if you will, as they grew larger and larger, and started to kind of. Uh, almost outgrow their ability to maintain and nurture the culture that had gotten them there. And as, as the owners saw these changes happening, it really, really pained them to see that people were growing unhappy in this environment that they had worked so hard to cultivate. And then they started losing people. And they had what they called a mass exodus, which was five people out of 150 leaving the hospital. Oh, wow. uh, and yeah. And so this, this set them off on, you know, this journey to solve this problem. Like we have to fix this, this issue that's going on. And, and the way that they responded to it, which is a perfectly normal and natural way to respond is, okay, we have to figure out what the problems are so that we can make them better. And so they, they went on this adventure, essentially, you know, talking to everybody in the hospital, anybody who had left who was willing to provide an exit interview, and they started sort of collecting what the issues were in a document that they named the master problem list. Nice. Right. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. And what a great tool. But also, it really struck me, master problem list. You know, I put myself in their shoes for a moment. If I'm going on a grand adventure to fill a document called the master problem list, I'm essentially training my brain to look at the environment around me and see only problems. And, yeah. and, you know, yeah, that's true. not that those problems aren't real and valid. They are, they exist and they need attention. But what we look at when we look at, you know, sort of 
all of the different fields of research psychology historically, that's kind of what psychology has really been about for a, a number of decades, is identifying the master problem list of the human condition and mm. trying to figure out what are the contributing factors? Why do people suffer? How do we get rid of that so we can return them to a state of functioning? And you know what, guys, that's, that's really important work and really worthy work. And I'm deeply grateful. There are people out there way smarter than me and way more passionate about fixing those problems, working on them. And yet, mm -hmm. I feel like there's also something else. The, the father of positive psychology, if you will, his name is uh, Dr. Martin Seligman. And he, I'm sort of parsing his words a bit here, but he basically posits that the absence of illness is not wellness. And that's really what positive psychology mm. is built on. This idea that, you know, it's, it's not enough to be functioning, that mm -hmm. there's, there's got to be something more. And, and mm -hmm. there really is. And, you know, if you look around you, you can see all of the problems to fill out the master problem list. Mm -hmm. But everywhere that there's darkness, there's also light. And positive psychology is very much a rigorous scientific field about looking at the light side of the human condition. What are the variables that contribute to human thriving? When are they most likely to happen? What can we learn from those? Are there interventions mm -hmm. that we can create, you know, and modulate and present to folks that rather than just move from a state of negative five to zero, but over time increase zero so that it becomes a plus five? And that's bas mm. that's basically what the field is built on. That's fascinating. As somebody, and I will admit this, I'm out about this. As somebody who's been to therapy for many, many, many years, yeah. you're right. You know, the idea is that you know I I have these symptoms and whatever they are, and, and it's and it is this idea of suffering. I'm suffering over something, and a little bit of the kind of Freudian idea of just you know you talk about it and you you know you work through that or whatever. And you're right that I'm kind of deficient in a way. Uh, because I have this thing that troubles me. And obviously the therapist doesn't say that, right? It's supportive, but it is this model of like, fix it, fix it, you know, to get back to to a certain uh, functioning state that I was in a previous, previous life, right? Before I maybe went to the therapist and solved this. So that's pretty fascinating. Oh my goodness, love <laughs> it. Thank you for sharing that. So Josh, you talked about through your career, kind of going into a, a more leadership role mm. and then talking a little bit about positive psychology. How has positive psychology helped you define leadership and what what do you think leadership is? I know a lot of people have will, will have a different concept of that or different idea of that and then how it relates to veterinary medicine specifically. But tell me your take on that. Yeah, so so I subscribe to an evidence-based approach to leadership that, you know, very loosely you could call positive leadership. And essentially what I view leadership as sort of the prism through four pillars all of which are about energizing the best parts of who we are as leaders and the best parts of the people who we intend to lead. And, and so I think that the responsibility of leadership is enabling an environment that allows people to really embrace and lean into the discomfort of growth and learning so that they can work towards achieving the best parts of who they are, mm -hmm. giving them the experience of mattering and meaningfulness towards the higher purpose of the work that they do, providing them with a great deal of clarity as well as you know, a, a meaningful sense of control over what is expected of me and how I can achieve that, and then connecting with them in a meaningful way so that they, they are more than just a means to an end, but actually an end in and of themselves, and that they, they genuinely feel that way. And I think that when, when leaders 
can approach their role through those four pillars, what results is a leader who's incredibly engaged and fulfilled in the work that they do, and a team that is just filled with energy and motivation and just accomplishes magical things together. This is some super awesome, awesome definition. I love the lens that you look through that and how you see what leadership is. And it doesn't necessarily have to be something that's veterinary specific, right? Or there's not once in there that you said manager or supervisor. Mm -hmm. And then it's all about how, right, right? you know, how we're kind of coaching our teams and how we're interacting with each other. And it's not because you're my superior. Yeah, nothing to do with that. So I, I, I love that. Tell me, Josh, about why this particular area has been so passionate for you. Why is this near and dear to you? That's a, that's a really wonderful question. Thank you. I went through an experience myself in my professional trajectory where I really completely burned myself out. And, you know, I like to describe this as like many of us, we kind of, we throw the word burnout around and I probably threw it around myself for quite some time in ways that this was an experience that was like visceral for me. I'm talking about like standing in my kitchen one morning and just having Mm -hmm. an uncontrollable, like ugly crying breakdown Mm -hmm. and not really understanding why, just knowing that like physically the thought of getting in my car and driving to Mm -hmm. that place one more time was like nauseating to me. And I mean, it just, I I mean, really, really rock bottom kind of place and the path that had got me there and person I was becoming and how I was leading. And I, I would put that in air quotes because it was really not leadership what I was doing at that time. <laughs> yeah, right. uh, you know, yeah. I, I, mean, I was appalled with myself and going through that experience, it just, it really struck me that I, I feel like the field that we're in, the profession that we are brought, to, whether we're called to this or, you know, even if just it's, it's something that we enjoy doing, everybody who works in this field is really deserving of being fulfilled by it and not depleted by it. And more often than not, that's not the case. You know, it's, it's so interesting. Like when I talk to people now outside of veterinary medicine who, you know, they, they think of what we do is right the puppies and kittens all day. Yeah, and right, when you right. share with them some of the yeah. well-being challenges <laughs> and you look at like the just the utter shock in their oh, face, yeah. like yes. they don't Disgust understand. Or like, yeah, exactly. Right. Or just and, absolute and, horror. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, and the truth is, is that I think that that's how it actually should be. I, not mm-hmm. that you know we play with puppies and kittens all day, but but the image that that the non-veterinary public has of what our field must be like is how we deserve to have it feel. Mm-hmm. And and I feel like that we've just not done a great job of that. No, and I was a job at it. Yeah, and I yeah. was a part of that for a long time. So I decided I'm going to get out of what I'm doing. I you know at the time I was a partner in a seven doctor practice. I was the on-site medical or hospital director. I was part of a management consulting firm. I was working with a startup consolidating group. I left all of it, literally all of it. Sold my equity, left wow. everything. That's a big change. Yeah. Oh, it was a huge change. It was also terrifying. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> but, you know, I needed to find a better way for me and for the whole veterinary mm-hmm. community. And and that's what I'm doing now is trying to, to bring what I think is the better way to unleash that kind of image or that kind of experience yeah. for all veterinary Wow. Professors. Well, I would say we need a better way. The courage you for know? that. Yeah. Good job. Yeah. Thank I you. I would say we need a better way in the profession. Mm-hmm. So you talked a little bit about your idea of leadership and, and positive psychology. And I was just, you know, something struck me, which was 
that model of the mountain and the employees and the manager or leader. And, you know, there's that dichotomy, right, of the, uh, you know, they say the manager, for example, is kind of in the, say, the driver's seat and, like, pushing the employees up. And then the vice versa is the leader who's charging up the mountain, <laughs> you know, with the flag. You said something that almost made me rethink that entire thing that the leader is actually behind the employees, yeah. hoisting them up the mountain, yeah. which is not a graphic I've seen in any of those things, right? It's usually a dichotomy between leader and manager, but you almost have leader and leader. Leader is charging forward with a flag, doesn't see the employees in the in the rear. And that's the whole idea of like, you know, you show them the way yeah. and lead, you know, that kind yeah. of thing, like yeah. leading them. Yeah. But the way you just drop the knowledge was like, no, 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 you get behind them, underneath them, yeah. and prop them up. Yes. And the other thing that came to me was just empathy, you know, like that's mm -hmm. empathy saying, you know, say I'm the manager or the owner or whatever, and everybody else, it sucks right now. And you know what? I'm with you yeah. and I'm there not mm -hmm. saying we got to go do the goal. We yeah. got to work hard, you know, yeah. Like, yeah. There, that's probably got a place too. But I, I mean, is that valid? And like it just seems them. like you kind of, yeah. yeah, like you took the whole, that idea of leadership and just turned it on its head, <laughs> yeah. you know, but like, that is... that's a mad truth, man. <laughs> Thanks brother. Uh, David, honestly, that's, that's an incredible incredibly insightful observation. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think to use the analogy that you've used, I, I view leadership as the foundation on which others succeed. And, yes. and so, yes. I mean, if you think of that from that, yeah, that, gave me chills. that kind Ooh, of image, yeah. I mean, that's a leader is the person that creates the foundation on which the people they are, quote, leading actually get yeah. to be their best selves. That's mad truth. So we are real on this podcast. <laughs> we get down and dirty and honest. I like it. What the heck do we get wrong in veterinary medicine with respect to leadership, leading teams, you know, commingling this idea of management being the ultimate, you know, goal for our, our team and you've got to be a manager. You want to grow up, you know, yeah. what do we get wrong? And and we'll we'll get into, you know, how do we get it right? But I need you to identify two or three things that are just like we are doing wrong as a whole. Obviously, you know, their practices you know, that you mentioned you work with that have great, fantastic cultures and supported teams, but we are seeing burnout, suicide rates, yeah. attrition at astronomical levels that, yeah. that do not align with our human counterparts or some of this other stuff. So, And some really unhealthy cultures to boot. Yeah. You know, I think that one of the things that we, that we definitely get wrong is confusing leadership and management. You know, we we have a tendency to think that if I'm in the role of boss, then I am the leader. And that if I can just get better at the tasks of management, then I'll be a better leader. Better leader and right. and those, they're very different things. You know, management is operational. Leadership is relational. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes, sir. And yes. If, we're, wow. if we're not actively building the relationship fabric, then we're, it doesn't matter how, how well we excel at the management skills, we're, we're not going to lead a, you know, a fully fulfilled and, and humming team. Uh, so I, I think that that's one thing that we get wrong. It's really easy to mix up the things that make me unhappy with the things that will make me happy. You know, yeah, and this, yeah, this right. goes the inverse is not true. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. it goes back right. to that, that statement from Seligman of, you know, the absence of illness is not wellness. You, right. you can be not burnt out and not thriving at the same time, mm -hmm. you know? Right. Yeah. And totally. So there's a piece of research I've been working on a study. I started last year, um, right before the pandemic hit, 
I conducted some extensive semi-structured interviews, hour and a half long interviews that I'm in the process of codifying and analyzing with seven credentialed veterinary technicians in the state of Colorado. So all of these were techs who had a minimum of 2000 hours professional experience as a credential technician, currently working full-time in a veterinary hospital in good standing with the Colorado Association of Certified Veterinary Technicians. And essentially what I asked them was, the essence of the research is two questions. So there's a concept in, in psychology we call subjective vitality. You know, if you think of vitality as sort of like life force or the energy that you have, you know, you, mm-hmm. you, you could yeah, view, yeah. you know, how many calories you consumed as part of your, you know, ob- objective vitality or the blood flowing through your body or the oxygen coming into your lungs, so on and so forth. It's life force. Subjective vitality is your personal subjective psychological perception of how much energy you have right now to give to whatever task or activity you're doing. And Mm, the interesting thing about subjective vitality is that it's very closely tied to things like motivation. It's also related to physical vitality, but it's not necessarily dependent. So an example I'll use, a couple weeks ago, we've got puppies now. We we adopted a couple puppies, um, and one of them, when we got him, he was three months old. And so, you know, sleeping was not a big thing. And we had a stretch of a couple nights that was particularly awful. And I, I mean, I was like exhausted, like the kind of exhausted where you're, you know, you're sitting at your computer at, at 11 o'clock and you're doing some in the morning and doing some work. And all of a sudden you realize that you just dozed off for six minutes with your hands on the keyboard. <laughs> right. I mean, right. like it was we awful. Know. We all know that feeling. We all know that. Yeah, exactly. For me, the wall comes at two o'clock in the afternoon and the two o'clock afternoon wall hits me and I've got a 2.30 call like with a rep for a potential project that, you know, I mean, this is a really important call and I'm, I'm struggling to literally stay awake to get to the call. I get on the call and, you know, the first few minutes, it's like, I don't even remember what was happening. I was in a fog. <laughs> and then he asked me a question about like some of the work that I'm doing. And before I knew it, I'm pacing around the house because I couldn't sit mm-hmm. still in the chair. Mm. Talking about something that I was passionate about energized Super excited me. excited about, yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's what subjective vitality feels like. So the research questions were essentially this. Tell me about a specific time in as much detail as you can recall when you felt alive or energized at the veterinary hospital as a credential technician. On the mm. flip side, tell me about a time in as much detail as you possibly can about a specific time when you felt exhausted or depleted. And, you know, we want to simplify things. And this is, this is one of the places where we go wrong. You know, we look at the fact that veterinary technicians are vastly underpaid. And I wholeheartedly agree with that. I think it's a travesty. And we think that, man, if we can just solve the money problem, we're going to solve so many of these other problems. Mm-hmm. I asked these questions. When, when they talked to me about times when they felt vitalized, not once did anyone mention anything that had to do with money. That's right. Right. All of it was about either... Essentially, I mean, I haven't completed this, you know, the data analysis on this. I'm working on a thematic analysis, but essentially they talked about when I felt like I was putting the skills that I acquired on purpose to their full use, I felt alive. When I felt like I was contributing in a beneficial way to another human being, I felt alive. Mm -hmm. That's basically it. Wow. So where we go wrong is we think, man, we got to get them some more money or we got to get them, you know, a a bigger CE allowance. Yes, those things are, they're important. They're they're important things and they have to happen. And that gets people to zero. Right. I want to get people to plus five. Yeah, right. That's not Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. It's a half-filled tank, not not full and certainly not empty. Right. It's the same idea as like Maslow's hierarchy, right? I think you can't do a study on employee motivation when you have employees that 
are not making what you would consider, say, a living wage or, or something yeah. along those lines. Like, you have to kind of normalize that first. Like, find sure. a group of people who say, yeah, I can pay my bills. I have a little bit of leftover in the bank. And, and right. they were kind of okay with that. Do they, everybody wants to make more money, of course. Then you do a motivation, you know, study or whatnot. And just like you mentioned, it's not about pay. It's about stuff that's a lot deeper. So I think you're right. We say, oh, we'll give you a raise or we'll give you a bonus or we'll throw money at the problem, right? Of course, yeah. that's why that phrase exists because we think it solves stuff and you're right. It, yeah, it doesn't. It's doesn't. deeper than that. So Josh, how would we take some of this leadership into a position as a practice manager when, like yeah. you say, you're doing some things that are really operational? How can practice managers take some of this and actually do and train and teach and coach leadership? How can we in, in put this into our practice? Yeah, that's that's a wonderful question. That's a big question. Right, and you have like, <laughs> I, you know, 30 seconds to answer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm halfway through writing a book about that exact topic. Perfect. And, and I've been, <laughs> I've been working on it for five months. So I, I'll do my best to condense it into 30 seconds. Um, <laughs> I will say that it's about to be Josh Feisman, who we're fangirling for. You're the next Adam Grant of the veterinary world, Josh. I don't think I would ever get comfortable with that. <laughs> I don't think Adam Grant does either. Yeah, right. <laughs> Probably not. Probably not. If I have to give one nugget, and it's going to seem a bit trite, but I'll do my best to explain it in a compelling way. I think that one of the best practices, actual practices, things that we can physically do as a leader to both be a better leader, a more effective leader, and to engage others in being better leaders is truly adopt and embrace a mindset of curiosity. The, the best leaders ask tons and tons of questions. Hey, you know, David, the other day, you know, I heard you make that new client appointment. And, you know, if you recall a week before at our all staff meeting, we talked about the new way we were going to do that. Walk me through what you did when you made that appointment. Oh, hey, when, when you made that decision, what were you thinking? Do you feel like that matches up with what we talked about at the meeting? Uh, mm -hmm. If it doesn't match up, you know, what, what's different to you? What did you hear at the meeting? How, how can mm -hmm. I help be clear? You know, that's what a good leader does. It, they right. coach by question. Mm -hmm. Tell me and about that. That, mm -hmm. that works right. the same way in developing other leaders. Hey, right. you know, Andrea, I, I know you've been teching here for you know three years and you've expressed some interest in, in being a leader. Tell me, what, what does leadership mean to you? What, right. what are things that you already do that, that are helping you kind of make that impact now? And where do you see yourself growing to make an even bigger right. impact? I mean, that, that's how you create leaders is by helping yeah. them look at what they can do as leaders. Right. And I think that it's important to point out here when you talked about that first example, and I'm not calling anybody out that listens to our podcast, but I think that what would have been, I would say, maybe the more common approach, maybe David, you know, David, you didn't do it right. Remember, we just talked about it last week. Yeah. Why didn't you right. use the script? Right, yeah. right. And that, but, and that's not bad, guys, anybody that's listening. That's the gut reaction. That's yeah. the, they didn't do it right. Yeah. And what I think you're saying, Josh, is, is you know, hang on a sec, you know, work it through your brain. But, but the other thing that I think about, too, is, you know, we're all adults. And so yep. it isn't it, it can't be that mindset of they didn't know. So I need to recorrect them. That's yep. what you do with a child. Yep. Yep. This is an adult who's processed something differently yep. and sat in the meeting and may have not been. Let's use these fans, you know, may not been aligned, mm -hmm. as you said, may have been really tired that day. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and then let's say that person said either, oh, I forgot, you know, and you coach that or they say, yep. You know, I really don't like how the script was written. For example, if you're, you know, using that, 
And then you, and then that door is open, right? Yes. You go, bam, sit down. Let's talk about it. Let's get you realigned. What yeah. do you not agree with? Yeah. And that the adult feels more engaged with that, yes. right? Who, who yes. feels engaged when the manager's yes. like, get in my office, you know, here's the script. Uh-huh. Why do you do it that way? Too, I think. Right. Yes. yes. It's yep. so horrible. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And Josh, I think that goes back to, you know, what you said at the beginning where we have a manager that is transactional and Mm -hmm. operational versus a manager that is relational, right? Yes. And building relation with the team, right? And it's very difficult to build trust, which is the foundation of all of this, (laughs) with our teams when we're shaming and correcting instead of asking those open-ended questions and really getting yeah. them to open up and build right. that trust, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally agree. You know, and and the nice thing is when when you can do that, when you can relate with people, when you can cultivate that trust because and, and I use that word intentionally. That is something that we cultivate with other human beings. Absolutely. Then all of a sudden when you're having these conversations with David about him, you know, misscheduling the the appointment, you start to find ways Mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. that things can actually change and improve you start to empower people with things that that you wouldn't you would have missed otherwise you know i'll give you an example i was just today talking to a practice manager at at a hospital i'm working with and she was telling me about uh you know they have a policy about recheck blood work and how it's scheduled and when it's scheduled they have specific times and specific days for those recheck appointments and one of the csrs who quote knows better scheduled somebody well outside of the you know those guidelines and david as you as you said the gut response is to be like um excuse me susie you you screwed that up like we've talked about this you know what the policy is the reason that she scheduled this particular client out of those times is because this client is suffering from metastatic breast cancer and and has very very specific days that she can actually bring her dog to the hospital where you know within her treatment regimen right and those days do not match up with the guidelines there so this person in service to client service said all right i'm gonna bend the rules for you you know if we can approach that from a from that curiosity perspective hey you know susie i know that you know what the policy is and yet here you scheduled this client outside of that help me understand what was going on there right now when you look at that story you would say i think in no universe that she did anything wrong exactly in no universe did she do anything wrong yeah so if we think operationally for a minute like as a manager i'm putting on my manager hat josh i uh tomorrow start asking more questions and and i don't mean that trite i mean i ask you know i start to reframe and work on you know as as myself as a leader you know when when something come across my desk and my my gut kind of judgment of it is they did wrong and i say okay i'm gonna i'm gonna engage with them i'm gonna ask them yeah here what's the so what why should veterinary practices focus on, you know, teamwork, leadership, leadership development of everybody from the owner, you know, to the kennel technician? What's the benefit? And, you know, you are data driven as well. So it doesn't yeah. need to be data point. But like, what is the ROI on this? Because yeah. it's going to take more time, I would assume, right? It's much easier to say you did it wrong. Here's your pink slip versus, hey, let's have a conversation that could take 20 yeah. minutes yeah. about your angle. Yeah. So I, I always start this this kind of question off by saying, because you have a moral imperative to do so. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I okay then. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that ev- everybody who's in a leadership position has a moral imperative to take the best possible care of the people that they intend to lead. I, I just, I just believe that philosophically. I also recognize that 
you know, that resonates with some people. And then there's a large chasm of people who say, show me what the ROI is. So I will tell you one thing I am currently working on. I'm hoping in the next maybe two years, maybe a little bit less, I will have some hard data on that specific to veterinary medicine. So I'm, I'm working on gathering that specific in our profession. That said, I can offer you two pieces of data that I think will be quite compelling. I'll start with the slightly less compelling one. The first one comes from uh, research around this concept of psychological safety. So psychological safety is a team phenomenon which people in the team feel safe enough to take calculated and, and valuable interpersonal risks, such as, I don't know how to do this, can you show me? Such as, hey, I have an idea for a way we can do this better. Those kinds of things, those are interpersonal risks in the workplace, any way you cut it. And if we're just relying on people's courage to do that, then we're going to continue to be disappointed. We have to create an environment that makes it okay for those kinds of risks to happen. When we do that, relatively successful. So what do I mean by that? Gallup does a, a survey every couple of years. And one of the questions that they ask, so this is across all workplaces, is agree or disagree? My opinion matters in my team. My mm -hmm. opinion matters yeah, yeah. to my leader, right? Mm -hmm. And on average, they find that uh, only three in 10 people agree with that statement, oh, which wow. is one of the most depressing things I think I've yes. ever read. 30% right. uh, yeah. of, so 70% of people, nah, my opinion doesn't mean shit at work. However, organizations that double that number get it to six in 10, which keep in mind means that 40% still, yeah, so it's not <laughs> great. Right, not right, good. Uh, right. Yeah, but we get it to six in 10. They see things like a 27% reduction in employee turnover. Think oh, about right. that. They would have to, right? Right. Think about twenty-seven percent less turnover mm -hmm. in veterinary medicine. Ooh, they see a forty percent reduction in things like medical errors and, mm -hmm. and a twelve percent increase in profitability. Wow. That's that's Dude, a yeah. big impact, and that's just by cultivating a little bit of trust and safety. But I'll give you something even bigger than that. There's a researcher by the name of Paul Zach. He's a neuroscientist by training and also works in uh, economics, and he's done some research on specifically on oxytocin and how it relates to trust, collaboration, and teamwork in the workplace. He has a, the ability literally to measure your oxytocin in real time at, while you're working. Pretty wow. amazing. Yeah. Uh, and what, what he found is that, you know, essentially the amount of oxytocin, which is one way to quote measure trust in a team across the 75,000 data points that he collected for his research, essentially fit on a bell curve. So his data very, very robustly shows that when you boost a team, their oxytocin, the trust in the team by a single quartile. So think about this. You're at the 1% quartile. You're the worst of the worst. And we get you up to the 26% quartile. You're still not very good, but you've right, got still bad. 20, Yeah, you've got 25% more trust in your team than you did before. That equates to almost $11,000 of additional revenue per employee per year. Ooh, Let wow. that sink in. Ooh. Wow. Think about the average mm. veterinary hospital, 12 employees, two doctors, yeah. $1.1 yeah. $1. $1 million. Yep. And now you've just doubled their EBITDA. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And this all stuff, right, so it makes a difference. Crank them all through oxytocin. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about what we get right. What is it that managers do right to get their employee engagement higher and kind of lean into some of the things that we do that are, you know, pat ourselves on the back? I, you know, I mean, I think the two of you creating a podcast like this is indicative of one of the great things that we get right in our All profession. All right, high five, David. <laughs> I, I say this a lot and I yep, really genuinely- Saving lives one manager at a time. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Exactly. 
what I'm about to say, I, I cannot stress enough, like how genuinely I truly believe this. I've had the fortune over my career to, you know, encounter and meet and interact with literally thousands of veterinary professionals all around the US, in Canada, some in Europe. I've really, I've met tons of people in our profession. And consistently, I find there are very, very, very few genuinely bad human beings in this profession. The vast majority of people who work in vet med are good people. Yes, right, I agree. Yeah, so when we talk about managers and leaders, what we've got is not a problem of bad managers or bad leaders. We've got good people leading bad. And, and that's mm. not necessarily even their fault. We're right. not taught right. this stuff, that's a very you know? Different concept. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't yeah, taught this very stuff. Different thing. I had to leave the field entirely and go back to school and spend three years getting a, you know, an extensive education and digging into research around these things to develop these, yeah. these beliefs and mindsets. But that's the beautiful thing about it is that we've got really, really good people who care. They care about mm -hmm. themselves. They yeah. care about other human beings. They care about the work that they're doing. And by golly, we can fill in the skill gap, you know? Yeah, so, right. right. I mean, I think, I think that's yeah. something that I see us getting right every day, that we really yeah. do care about each other. That's fantastic. That's the same thing that Brene Brown says about empathy, that you, you may have a little more or a little less, but it is teachable. Yes. It is learnable. Yes. Uh, we never would have thought that. Most of the time we go, well, I, I don't just don't have empathy. I'll never have it. And, and she'll say, nope, let's, let's teach it. And she's created yeah. this amazing evidence-based objective, you know, kind of skill set yeah. for learning empathy. Yeah. So Joss, you know, we also like to always provide a couple of really high value takeaways. I mean, there was a lot of takeaways from this talk, but a couple <laughs> oh, right, of high right. value ones for our managers. So like, what are one or two really good habits in this area that a manager could start? And we literally say tomorrow. So we're recording on a Friday, Monday morning, they're going yeah. in, what could they do? Like ask more questions, right? Yep. So there you go. So like, what's one more, what's one more takeaway that they could start on Monday? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm going to play off of the questions thing and just get a little bit more specific around it. You know, our, our field is uh, imbued with a natural sense of purpose. Uh, you know, we, we serve to celebrate and support the human animal bond. That's a pretty big deal. And yet the purposeful can become, you know, the mundane. It's just what we do. And so there are ways that leaders can really engage that experience of, you know, really seeing and feeling the meaning in what we do in the people that they lead. And so you know, if your team is small enough, do it with your whole team. If you're in a large practice, I say pick three people. When you've got two or three minutes that you can actually have a conversation with them, even pull them aside, you know, go sit outside if you're somewhere warm and just ask them this question and like really genuinely ask, hey, tell me about things that you get to do here that feel really meaningful to you. And then let's explore how we can help you do that 10% more. Oh, I wow, think, that's great. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a, I think that's absolutely something that every manager can easily do and that yes. will make a tangible difference in your people's lives. Yeah. And not just listen, but actually take that back and, and make it happen with that person, whoever it is that you're asking. I yeah. think the worst thing that we do is hear what they say and then we forget about it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then yeah. no follow up. So yeah. Actually do it. Yeah. Josh, if you could give yourself one piece of advice. <laughs> that you wish you could have heard when you were a baby manager, one piece of advice that you'd love to give to our listeners today, what what would it be? <laughs> I, it's funny, because the first thing that popped to my mind was, uh, you know, for me personally, when you graduate college, go right to the master's of positive psychology. Um, <laughs> right, but, all the crap. <laughs> yeah, but the truth is, is I think I had to go through that journey to get to where I am today. 
Sure. Yeah. Um, so, so my piece of advice would be, I've done this session now a couple times with a couple different practices. I did a, a little mini workshop with a group of hospitals uh, and it was titled 2020 Sucked, A Celebration. Dumpster fire. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the celebration part, I think, is important too. You know, I, I think that the, the advice that I would give everybody is that whatever struggles and challenges and difficulties that we you have experienced in your journey, those are real and those are valid and they deserve to be honored in the light of day. And you are still here, which means that you also have endured, persevered. Mm -hmm. You are gritty, mm -hmm. courageous, and brave. And there are, mm -hmm. you know, I think that it is worth taking five minutes to give space to the shit and to give space to the superpowers that we all possess. I think that's worth celebrating. Nice. Bam. Right. Mic drop. <laughs> Thank you. Well, since you've been in practice, Josh, for many, many years, like David and I have, um, we, we have this moment, and I would say not just one, but, but often we have several, <laughs> where there's just this jaw-dropping, eyes popping out like pugs. <laughs> no way this just freaking happened. <laughs> I can't believe it. Whatever it is, you know, it could be client, it could be patient, it could be yeah. boss-related, uh -huh, employee. Uh -huh. Do you have a story that you could just say, no, nobody can make this shit up. Like this is like, shut the front door. This just, <laughs> that's a, that's a great question. So this brings me way back. I'm going to date myself a little bit here. My first foray into veterinary medicine was a little bit of a fluke. I sort of stumbled into it. I was uh, hired on and trained off the streets as a tech at a PetSmart veterinary services. If any of your listeners remember that, then back then, in the day. Yeah, that's back in the day. So I was at this practice and I was teching and we had a cat come in. It was late at night. So it was, you know, half the staff had already gone home and we were pretty short handed. So I, I was the tech in the room holding this cat. So it's an indoor outdoor cat. Had gotten into a fight at some point in time and, you know, had this like massive, massive abscess on the side of the cat. <laughs> My memory is telling me now that it was like the size of a baseball. It was probably like the size of a ping pong ball. Yeah, but, um, right. But it was, I mean, it was big and, and it was angry, like angry enough that we hardly had to shave it because like most of the hair had already like disappeared. And so, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. so I'm holding this cat, which by the way, this cat was like surprisingly easy. I mean, I was essentially, you know, stretched out holding it in lateral recumbency on the exam room table while the doctor is like poking around at this abscess and the cat's just chilling. That was amazing in and of itself. I oh, could probably, yeah. yeah, just leave it at that. Like no way that happened, but it did. And uh, so, you know, I'm holding the cat and I'm leaning over because obviously I want to see like what this abscess looks like. And then, you know, I want to see when she lances. Yep. <laughs> right. <laughs> front row seat. <laughs> so picture this. So I'm holding the cat. I got, you know, the front legs in my right hand and the back legs in my left hand and stretched out on the table. And I'm kind of leaning over the cat. The doctor's kind of, you know, her arms elbow forearms down on the table and she's poking around at the abscess to see like where it all tracks to and she presses in just the right way oh and it no. bursts here it comes here straight it comes. up oh, in the air no. straight up into uh -huh. my wide open mouth <laughs> Oh, oh no. no. And what do you do? I'm the one holding the cat down. Like I can't just let go of this thing and I can't oh. just like spit it out all over everybody. Oh, oh my no. god, it was it was awful. That's a good one. And of course, like at first she's like, "Oh my gosh." And then she's like, you know, 
cracking up laughing. And then I'm laughing, but I'm also mortified. <laughs> Long story yeah. short, she came and she held the cat for me and I went and washed my mouth. Nice. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, it was fun. Right. Good times, man. (laughs) So, Josh, as we start to wrap up, it's been a wonderful, wonderful session. Uh, We've got uh, another tradition that we do here called the rapid fire. And this is meant to be literally your kind of Freudian first off the tongue response to these questions. So are you ready to go? Yeah, let's do it. So tell me about your most epic failure that has left a lasting impact. Uh, the last hospital that I managed and co-owned, I would consider that an epic failure of leadership. And it made a huge lasting impact on me. It's why I do what I do now. Tell me about your proudest moment. Ooh, that's a good one. Let's see here. A couple of years ago at a technician conference, after doing a keynote, a tech came up to me from the audience and told me, You probably wouldn't remember me, but you presented at our hospital a few months ago and you literally changed our hospital and I am staying in this career because of what you did. Why veterinary medicine? What do you just love about our profession? Yeah. I mean, I kind of alluded to it earlier. I just find the most wonderful human beings in this profession. And I I just really, really believe that everybody who comes to this work deserves to be fulfilled by it because of how good they are. So I I can't imagine working in another field. Self-care. How do you do it and how do you prioritize it? Uh, That's longer than 30 seconds. (laughs) Let's see here. We meal plan every week. We create a shopping list around it and we cook almost every single meal every week. How do you balance work and life and you experience a work guilt and we call it on the show manager guilt (laughs) as well for the managers that go home at night and actually don't answer their phones. How do you, you know, handle that in the balance? Um, So this is something that is uh, I've had to learn and it's a continual work in progress. I do not do work related things 95% of the time after 4 p.m. during the week and Saturdays and Sundays. And I intentionally say 95% because I'm not perfect and I probably will never be perfect at it. Uh, And I do occasionally have work guilt. You know, sometimes I will look at my work email over the weekend. I don't respond and I don't send emails, but I'll look at them and I'll see something from a client or, you know, uh, an opportunity or something like that. And it it will tug at me. But, you know, it's really made a big difference for my personal well-being to stick to that framework. And so I, I do my best to stick to it. What keeps you up at night that you stress out over or things that cause you anxiety in your in your practice, in your business? Uh, So in my business specifically, I started and run a consulting firm right now all by myself, which means that there is no such thing as guaranteed revenue. So that definitely stresses me out. What really stresses me out, though, uh, in the work that I do is the thought that research suggests between 60 and 70 percent of veterinary professionals do not believe that their team is psychologically safe. And I think that that number is a travesty. And what gets you up and out of bed in the morning? What excites you to start your day? Yeah, uh, I mean, this, this is what excites me. I get to bring the science of human thriving to the veterinary profession. If you can't get excited by that, I don't know what can excite people. Josh, thank you. Amazing. Thank you. This has been so much fun. Yes, Um, loved it. From Andrea and I. We can't thank you enough. Thanks thank you, Josh. Oh, my gosh. Guys, thanks for having me. You have been wonderful hosts. This has been a real delight. Have a fantastic weekend. You too. For all the positive leaders listening out there, we hope you learned something to take back to your practice to put into use tomorrow. 
We want to hear from you, good, bad, and everything in between. So email us at positiveleaders at gmail.com. That's positive with a P-A-W. Want to hear about a specific topic on the podcast? Email us. Want to have your You Can't Make This Shit Up story featured? Email us. You can listen to us on your favorite podcast app and subscribe to the Positive Leadership Podcast. And be sure to rate us. Check out our website at www.positiveleaders.com. That's positive with a P-A-W. And as always, catch us on all the socials. Social media management and website design by Dog Days Consultant. This is Andrea. And David. Signing off until next time. Stay happy and sane. The Positive Leadership Podcast is solely for informational purposes. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions provided in this podcast are general in nature, and such information, statements, comments, views, and opinions, and the receipt of this podcast by any listener are not intended to be and should not be construed as the provision of any business advice. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions expressed or provided in this podcast, including by speakers and guests, are those of Andrew Crabtree, David Liss, and their guests only, may not be current, and do not represent the statements, comments, views, and opinions of any other person or business entity. Andrea Crabtree, David Liss, and or the Positive Leadership Podcast do not make any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any of the information, statements, comments, views, or opinions contained in this podcast, and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage of any kind whatsoever, is expressly disclaimed.